part of the Inside Lens Network. If you are a victim of crime trying to graduate to being a survivor of crime, with an emphasis on the aftermath of crime and how it impacts your life, if you appreciate diversity of topic and want to come along for the ride, if you are looking for cutting-edge programs, information, resources, inspiring people that assist you in finding your voice, you have come to the right place. This is Donna Arcor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host, Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com. Thank you for listening and sharing this podcast. So good morning, everyone, and welcome to another Saturday edition to Shattered Lives Radio. We are um, very fortunate to have um, a homegrown person here, um, a a Connecticut guest. Um, And today, um, and thank you very much, Vito Colucci, for referring her to us. Um, Julie Napolitano is our guest today, and she is what you you might uh, consider a um, a new advocate of sorts, and that's that's what I want to um, start out with because um, she she was just your average person um, here as a resident in Connecticut, um, a, a well educated um, professional and a mom, and and saw this issue and was appalled and said. Hey, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to help. And uh, many times um, along the path of advocacy or survivorship, um, many of the people in my circle, we have come up through the advocacy world because of we have been victimized. But it's so nice to have somebody um, just to recognize something and to have the time and ambition to, to do what they need to do. So uh, we're going to... Um, uh, address this head on, and I believe it's this, Delilah will be joining us in a few minutes. Um, so, Julie, uh, without further ado, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to the Shattered Life uh, family of uh, radio shows. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here, and great to connect with you this morning. Well, well, thank you, and and, and same here. And um, so, as I was as I was just alluding to. Um, we, you know, I put up a post this week, um, perhaps in the last, I don't know, six and a half years, we have had maybe half a dozen shows on human trafficking from many, many different perspectives from, uh, truckers against trafficking to, uh, having, uh, Betty Hubion and, and Daddy Laster and, um, uh, Megan Madsen, uh, from many different perspectives. However, um, I think today we, we're going to focus on um, some no, nonprofit organizations that are Connecticut-based, and also talk about. Um, I'm hearing a little bit of feedback back there. If, if there's some moving moving around, so just let you know. Um, so anyway, we're going to talk about um, the nonprofit organizations Julie is involved with here, and also um, and, and also a public act that was passed in Connecticut and what happens in the plight of a state uh, where there is high debt. Um, and I think that's part of the reason you got involved, Julie, in terms of trying to meet a need um, in, in, in human trafficking in Connecticut. So let's start out with that. Tell us a little bit about your background and, and, and what brought you to this issue. Sure. Thank you. Um, so it was, Probably many years ago, actually, when I was a leader in a group called Mothers of Preschoolers, MOPS, and I was at a convention, and there was a singer there named Sarah Gross, and she was singing, and she had a little emblem on the bottom of her screen, and at the end of the convention, I went back home, and I looked it up, and it was IJM, which stands for International Justice Mission, and I thought, wow, okay, what is this, and I looked it over, and I had absolutely no idea that modern day slavery still existed and I was appalled at what I saw and for for a time being I I helped out just a little bit and I was busy raising my own three preschoolers and uh, so up to speed now I about four years ago you know I still had this itch it was sort of this um, something that was still on the side of my body it was just sort of this it was living in the margin of my life if that makes sense and so Mm -hmm. um 
I had heard about A21, another organization. And so I went to their walk. They had a walk in New York City, I want to say, maybe two, three, four years ago. And I went to that walk, and I thought, well, how come this isn't happening in Connecticut? And I live in Connecticut. There's got to be something going on in Connecticut. And so it made me look a little bit further, and I, I landed upon Love 146, which is based out of New Haven. And Rob Morris started this organization back in 2002, and it started in his travel to Southeast Asia, and he was there to on sort of an exploratory trip to see how they could serve in the fight against human trafficking. They traveled undercover with investigators to a brothel where they witnessed children being sold for sex. And so that's sort of their story. And now they are an international human rights organization working to end child trafficking and exploitation through survivor care and prevention. So hmm. this How many chapters them, do they have? Oh, my goodness. They have um, one chapter here locally with several volunteer teams, and right now they're in about three or four different countries, um, and so they're international. Now, their latest one is uh, Africa. Yeah. Okay. So we, we decided to um, start a small group here. It actually started last year, and I casually mentioned it to some people. Some people knew about it. Some people didn't know about it, and... Um, I think what's happening is that people really want to have feet on the ground and, and do something rather than maybe attend another reading or attend another uh, a book group, group where they study the material or, or write another check and not quite sure exactly how it's being implemented. They actually want to do something. And so complete hands-on. And so we follow the abolitionist curriculum, which is out of Love 146, and any volunteer team uh, can utilize this. It's free. It's on their website. You can download it and be a facilitator of it. And it's about five or six modules. It teaches you all about modern day slavery, uh, gives some stories. It shows some statistics. It also helps you figure out how your team can then move forward and put together an event. So at the same time as we were studying the curriculum, we uh, decided to have this walk, which is going to happen this October not only to raise awareness, but one time, in probably three years ago, I attended another event. It was out in um, another town here in Connecticut in New Canaan, and there was um, Polaris Project. Bradley Miles was there, and it was an all-day event on this very same issue. Lots of people from the state attended. And the one thing that stuck out in my mind was something that he said, and he said, uh, we have um, survivors that work with us, and the one thing that they mentioned to us is that, you know, we all have cell phones. We all have access to our jobs or whatever, and so um, how come we didn't hear about you guys until you actually came in to rescue us? And out of the entire six hours that was there, that was the one thing that just completely uh, made me think that this is something I can do. We can get this telephone number out here so that more people have access to it and know that this is actually happening in our state and, and um, you know, internationally in our whole country. So our group is now did dedicated. They, um, Julie, did mm-hmm. they have a response to, to, to his question? What, what, what did they say? No, it wasn't really a response. It was just a, it, was it was something. It, yes, exactly. Um, and that was the one thing that completely compelled me to to really kind of keep going with this idea and this sort of itch in my spirit about moving forward. So, so now we've got this great group of really motivated individuals. And so we're putting together this walk. We're going to raise funds to actually put together plaques. And the plaques will be um, – we'll be able to install those in all the bathrooms along 95 in the rest stops. Uh, so I, I'm not sure if you're all aware, but the law was packed, passed last year, um, and it's the Public Act 1732, um, the Act Concerning Human Trafficking, where all the operating, any establishment pretty much in terms of public airports, uh, emergency rooms, urgent care facilities, uh, rail services, bus services, uh, we're looking airports. at massage parlors, airports, mm-hmm. uh, motels, hotels, all that kind of stuff. They're required by law to have the human trafficking hotline number up in their establishment. So I'm not sure that a lot of people know that that law was passed or that they actually have to do that because as well, I travel around Connecticut, I don't see it anywhere. Um, yeah, in fact, I was it's just one of mm-hmm. seven provisions. I, Cause I have it right in front of me. And it's very detailed in terms of the seven provisions. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, this, this one, it says number five, 
broadens the list of people and entities required to post a notice about services for human trafficking victims and imposes a penalty for for violations. Now, you know, when it comes to the actual penalty, um, now this is this is what they say. Under the bill, any operator or person who fails to comply with the notice provision is subject to a fine of $100 for the first offense, 254 subsequent events. Additionally, violations are subject to any license, permit, or certificate suspension or revocation proceeding that uh, an appropriate authority may may initiate. Now, I don't know if, you know, um, uh, it, it also said this, this bill expa- uh, expands this to include the locations where labor and services are provided or performed tickets are sold or other transactions occurred. So in your travels around, whether it be around by bus, uh, bus stops um, along the highways or, you know, places, you know, concert venues or whatever, do you think it's um, just pervasive in that what? no one's doing this and they're not realizing it? Have you approached people and talked to them? Huh? Right. So our group is actually headed out to do that uh, actually tomorrow. We're going to start tomorrow. Okay. We have all the paperwork and the laws and, and all the pamphlets to give people because they. I don't think people are aware that it's out there and that they need to have this um, put up in all of their establishments. They they, they really don't know. And so um, well, the other one thing, thing really we need mm-hmm. – Excuse me for interrupting. I'm sorry. But I think I, I, I'm – familiar with your law and familiar with the law here in South Carolina. And correct me if, if you're having the same issue. I mean, we, and, and this is not just in a human trafficking issue as well. There's, you know, every issue out there. We fight so hard and work so hard and get so much support and people behind us to pass wonderful laws. And where is the disconnect? Why are these Laws not being enforced the way they should. Something as simple as putting up a hotline poster when you're supposed to, uh, that's that's just too simple. And right. why yeah. is it it's not very enforced? Simple. I think it's not enforced because it's not publicized uh, right. widely enough. And so it's not marketed applying, well. Right? It's not marketed well if you're not, if it's certainly not on mainstream media. Um, I don't need to go there on this radio show, um, but you're not going to find it there. So uh, you're not necessarily going to find it in the local news either. So you kind of have to dig beneath the surface um, and be willing to be a very loud voice and, and get it out there. And so that's what we're, we're committed to do. And I, and I believe that the flyers will be fine, but the biggest other big thing is to get it out there electronically, like on billboards where the perpetrators, they, don't, they can't really rip it down who's profiting um, from his local little newsstand or um, delicatessen he'll he'll take it down because he's getting you know he's getting he's getting traffic from that and and people coming in so um, listen I think we all have a social responsibility to take care of um, those who are uh, in our society that are most vulnerable very vulnerable and so and collectively we can we can do a lot and it, it seems to me that with the number being so high that it, it's got to be really corrupt on very many, very many levels. And so um, I'm ready to kind of take a team of active people and, and get right in the trenches and really disrupt the supply and also disrupt um, communities that are comfortable and people that are sort of comfortable but do have an itch to want to do something to help. Um, together we can, we can make um, – we can make a difference. I absolutely know that. So uh, those are, you know, the text, wouldn't it be great? You know, how they had the Amber Alerts, um, it would really be great if you could have uh, that hotline number be, you know, maybe once a quarter. I don't know, maybe legally we'd have to get that um, fixed or passed somehow. But it would be great to have that telephone number show up on everybody's cell phone once a quarter, wouldn't, wouldn't it? it? Wouldn't yeah, that be great? Yeah. Because right now you have to you have to actually you know you have to go in and sign in and say that you want to receive amber alerts. So you know those guys don't want amber alerts. They don't, the young people don't know how to put that on their phone. Um, so yeah, there's a lot there's a lot to be done. 
The Not a Number Prevention curriculum that Love 146 puts out, I think, is amazing. I think I'm going to tackle that next, but it's really about teaching the youth how to spot traffickers, um, to know their own uh, vulnerabilities, basically, and how to stay safe. Um, They also teaches them how to choose and understand who's on your own side, know how to um, approach um, or or actually look at who's going to approach you as a predator and be able to identify that, know what to do next, right? Um, And then they actually will be able to learn how to respond when they act that out in the class so that they can build their own confidence. Um, Because I think we're all aware that these youngsters are are people that are – you know, they, they're, they're in a sad spot. They are feeling as if nobody loves them. They're feeling unworthy of themselves. Um, their fear of rejection. They're looking for, um, you know, community um, and love, and they're finding it, um, unfortunately, with these perpetrators. And so we just we need to disrupt the supply. Other people I know are disrupting the demand, and that's awesome. Um, I'm here to disrupt the supply and to also disrupt the comfortable so that we can make, um, we can get this number out there. That's well, that's one thing we can definitely do. Um, Absolutely. But it takes, mm-hmm. well, yeah. Can you can you tell me what what uh, how is the curriculum being disseminated? Is it through the school systems? Is it through boys and girls clubs? Is it available for anyone who is interested? Right. So there's two curriculums. The first one is the abolitionist curriculum, which is what I do with a group of people at our church. And so anybody can do that, that curriculum, and bring it into your home. The other one is great for the Not a Number curriculum is great for anybody that's a special kind of certification, anybody who works with youth, who is, um, you know, any, anybody in the school system can work with that, any agency that works with youth. It's, it's awesome. Um, can you give the contact information for that? And, and we'll repeat it before the end of the show, too, if people are wanting to look that up. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, basically, you want to go to love146.org, and you'll see it right on the front, on the top. It's a not a number curriculum, and the abolitionist curriculum is down there as well. If you if you scroll down, you'll find that everything is downloadable. Um, and then the volunteer teams, of course, those can be everywhere. So, so how does how does that how does that work exactly? If it, uh, if you want to be a volunteer, what kind of things might you be doing? Mm. So, some people have done uh, walks, they've done runs, they've also put together uh, backpack programs, packing up uh, backpacks for um, children heading back to school. Uh, they've done car done raise, raising funds. Uh, people have had dress. Uh, Clothing sales, all sorts. I mean, you can kind of do anything um, that sort of, you know, comes up your alley, so to speak, that you're already involved uh-huh. in. Just um, someone of influence. Mm-hmm. Right. If someone is putting together a fundraising event, uh, where are the funds going? How how is the organization spending the money? Right. That's a great question because um, I looked into that. And you can go online, actually, and look at any charity and look at their um, their filings. So that's a great question. Um, what we do is we ask people to put in the memo line uh, that they would like their the money that we raise and the money that they donate go to the plaques. So if you're a sponsor, if you're, you're going to sponsor – uh, with us and be an abolitionist, you would then um, sponsor $1,400, let's say, and that would buy 100 hotline plaques. And so you just need to put that in the memo line and let them know. And then we get a, we get a decent chunk of that. I want to say it's um, um, 70, maybe 74 cents of that dollar, I believe. Um, I have to go back and look. But um, so th- those are the ways that we can ensure that uh, we get the funds to go mm-hmm. do what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Now, when, when you talk about a plaque, is this like an, uh, some, uh, a printed letter that's framed under glass, or are you talking about something a little fancier when you talk about a plaque that's posted that, that, that somebody can't, you know, rip down a piece of paper in a stall? What, what, yeah. what does a plaque look like? So it's, a three by, it's basically a three-by-eight. And it's heavy-duty plastic vinyl. And then the back is uh, just a really heavy-duty, I want to say, like a cemented glue 
Um, it's nothing that has to be screwed in, but it's something that, you know, you really can't pry off very well. It's an industrial grade um, application. And so what, what are, what kind of things are you, you planning on doing to, like, incentivize all of these establishments to, to put them up there? Do you, do you, would you, in your scenario, would you approach them and say, hey, this is part of the law, and if you don't do this, you're going to have to pay a $100 fine first and then your 50 whatever, or are you saying this is, you know, this is a human right, this is the right thing to do? Have you, I mean, if you're on the precipice of doing this, you know, like tomorrow or whatever, how do you approach mm -hmm. people who are not aware and who who are, you know, you're not going to know if they're receptive or not. What's your approach going to be, Julie? Right. I Well, my approach is definitely to go in with the first one, is that, you know, we have an obligation to love our neighbor, and so this is what we're about. <laughs> and, and love is the foundation pretty much of our motivation. And so to have effective, sustainable change, um, we need to let people know the law, and we need to let them know that we're about love, and would they be interested in and looking at our information, looking at the statistics, because um, I'm pretty sure they don't know. And then we can let them know about the law and then the implications if they choose uh, not to follow through. So I think you got to do both. And then okay. it's about establishing relationship, right? Um, right? These are my neighbors next door in Stanford and Norwalk, um, New Canaan, Darien, Greenwich, uh, you know, they're Bridgeport. They're, they're our neighbors. And so I want to be able to, um, our group wants to be able to have relationship and build relationship with these people and not come in with a hammer, but to say, listen, collectively we can make a difference and you can make mm -hmm. a difference. Um, I think everybody wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Right. And if you're a business owner, you want to do the right thing, but is there a way that you're going to be like tracking this and then go back and, and, you know, kind of like quality assurance and check to see that they actually did what they said they were going to do and that kind of thing, monitoring over time? Yes, definitely. And that's part of building the relationship is to kind of periodically go in and check in and see um, how's it going. And then I think if you list this, 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 uh, this, sorry, the statistics, um, I believe that probably out of every 10 um, calls that somebody might make from an establishment, probably three of those end up being legitimate leads. Um, those are from the people that are here in, in the ICE department anyway, who typically kind of do this sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I think it's all about building relationship. And then we'll certainly have um, be able to identify who, who's, who's not interested um, right from the get-go. And obviously that's going to be a yellow flag um, in an area that we can continue to monitor. Right. And you, you just mentioned of, of several communities. Now, some of them are affluent communities in Connecticut, and some, such mm -hmm. as Bridgeport, are not. So that's mm -hmm. the beauty of it. This affects all different communities, all different socioeconomic, um, you know, uh, uh, areas. And so with that, um, mm -hmm. you know, do people have this mindset that, Oh, this just takes place in the in the most depressed areas and whatnot. So that that definitely is not true. So um, I I just how how are you going to dispel the myth? Do you give that? What 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 does the brochure say that you're going to be handing out? Right. Well, I, I, let me address that first question when you said um, sure. crossing um, borders and, and communities. So there's definitely a few there's one coalition right now called the set free church coalition and that's about four churches so far down here in southern connecticut um who are fully aware and on board of what's happening and what their mission is is to really establish a home for aftercare because what we're finding is in connecticut anyway there's not really um, a great aftercare they get put into dcf um and so they need and and that's okay, but it's not, it's not the best we can do for these children and, and women. They need to be in a place where they can uh, be healed and learn skills and get back um, into the community. So they're working on I housing. I think that's and really I believe, an, important, an important point um, for everyone to realize is that this is where there is a huge lack of resources. And, right. I mean, we, 
we find that there's a lot of education, there's a lot of awareness, there's a lot of good laws out there. Um, but what happens to the children, the women, the boys, the men, once they are, I'm just using the word rescued from that situation, and then what do you do with them? Okay, there's there's just a very large gap there. There's a very large lack of resources and education along with how to reintegrate these people back into society. And a lot of times you don't want to send these children home because it's the parents that are selling them. I mean, there's, there's so many issues. There's so many layers to this onion that it's, right. it's mind boggling. But I think, you know, seeing the lack of resources for aftercare is, is very disturbing because mm. these people deserve to live a, a normal as life as possible. And it's very, very difficult. And it's a lifetime. It's a totally long-term thing that we have to be looking at. Agreed. I, I agree. I agree. Now, once once we get the, you know, awareness piece and, and all of, all of uh, you know, the, the layers of, of what you're doing get established. Is there this long-range plan to, to really focus on that, or is that is that uh, one, one of the two organizations you've mentioned that, you know, some focus on education and awareness and the others focus on aftercare, Julie, just so that I understand it my own yeah. mind better? Yes, exactly. So the Set Free Church Coalition is really – looking for the aftercare facilities, as well as, I believe, Global Pet, P-E-H-T. Their organization is looking for aftercare facilities as well. She's part of the Set Free Church Coalition, uh, Cornerstone Church, and certainly the Underground. Um, and I believe the Underground is actually um, speaking with the mayor of Manchester, who's very open and receptive to having an aftercare uh, facility up there. So I think that, you know, there's stepping, there's, a, you know, there's a road map, um, but you're not going to get people on board with maybe the aftercare if they don't really know that the problem is a problem enough to have the aftercare. So that's where I come into play. It's sort of the gathering the people, making a big loud noise, um, getting the getting the <laughs> name out there, <laughs> getting mm-hmm. the number out there, um, and raising up the warriors so that um, we can all begin to work together um, and really com- combat this this horrific um, horrific system. Right, it's a it's a big business. It's a big business, and it's ugly, and it needs it's to stop. It's bigger than drugs. It's bigger than drugs. It's bigger than guns, or you know, those mm-hmm. are like the top three. Um, right. Get, tell us uh, the hotline number. Is this a state number or or, or federal or what? No, it's the hot, a national hotline number. So it's the one eight 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 three seven three seventy eight eighty eight 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 three seven three seventy eight eighty eight. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Because I'm I'm hoping that um, I don't know that in driving around there are still many billboard companies here, and I have never seen that there. Is there, is there a way that you know someone can um, donate billboard space and maybe get that up there? You know, whether it's uh, electronic or or the old-fashioned paper kind. I mean, I right. don't know. Yes, yes, that's one thing we're looking at. And one of the gals on our team actually is a flight attendant. And when I was over in London recently, A21 had a magnificent two electronic uh, posters, I would call them, in the in the airport. And they were wonderful with the hotline number on them and everything. Um, JFK, I didn't see anything. I don't believe there's anything in Bradley Airport. I don't believe there's much in Connecticut. So, um, again, we, a lot of places to infiltrate, and I know we can do it. So we take small steps, and we work towards that every single day. Um, right. Well, I would think the the Connecticut legislators that helped sponsor this bill, um, mm-hmm. uh, they would be the people to approach and say, hey, c- can you help us get this accomplished? And we know we have many, many, many economic issues in the state, but, you know, we're talking about our children here. So, uh, yeah, I totally agree, yeah. agree with you. Can you tell us a bit about the curriculum in terms of, some practical things that, that that they tell you know that they tell these kids about how to not be as vulnerable and how to know 
you know, who are the people to trust, those kinds of things that you were talking about, Julie? Can you give right. us some I, I, examples? Yeah, I wish I could. I haven't done that uh, curriculum yet. We're looking at, we did oh, the abolition okay. curriculum first, yes, in order to do the event. And then those of us who want to are going to transfer over and look at the not a number curriculum and really kind of discover what that is all about so that we can become teachers and uh, let the children really give them the skills that they need. Because uh, again, you know that's that's part of that's part of the wheel, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I might mention that we have a a friend of ours um, online, a uh, Rosalind Parker. That's that's uh, part of the airline ambassadors, and mm. she she is also you know she is also a travel expert, and we have had her on, so she might be a good person to hook hook up with with regard to you know, your endeavors and, and to, to have some advice here too. It's, it's very good to have good partners across the country, uh, and that's the beauty of having, you know, radio guests and having this show, you know, that it, yeah. it, it really is. Um, can, you, can you tell us the actual kind of like um, uh, nuts and bolts of the event? Are people, are is this like a, uh, an hour run, and you had told me there are going to be T-shirts and whatnot available, and it's during the during the fall, right? So if you remind me, I can help you to you know, get it out on on my social media as well. What's what's, oh, what's great. the details Thank you. of that? Yeah, sure. The details are, will be this coming October thirteenth, which is a yeah. Saturday, and yeah. it will begin at nine o'clock promptly at the parking lot at Nerone Presbyterian Church, which is right here in Darien. And we will be walking down the sidewalk all the way through town. You'll get a T-shirt uh, at the beginning of the walk. And we'll end up at Tilly Pond, which is right across from the Darien train station. And there will be food trucks and music and some information there about West 146. And it will probably end around 2 o'clock, I believe, by the time it's all said and done. Mm-hmm. And tickets, you can go to um, the event. It's on Eventbrite. Uh, the tickets are there. I can actually send it to you if you want. Um, okay. And get that link on there as well. Yeah, that would be great. Um, one of the things that you said was very intriguing to me, and maybe uh, you can tell us a little more, is that um, Manchester, Connecticut, which is east of Hartford, east of the river, um, a, a particular police chief there is very interested in this. Can you tell us how that that link became established with law enforcement and what the police are trying to do with this? Right. I, I, I don't know too much about that. I know that Anne-Marie Boulay of the Underground has been instrumental in working with them on that issue um, and with really helping out sort of the, uh, you know, the non-urban areas uh, where certainly this happens as well. Right, so um, they are just a community partner in these in these endeavors, right? Correct. Yeah. T- tell us about um, Amory and the, the quote underground. When you say that, just so that people understand what what you're talking about. Right. So that is another coalition of um, churches and organizations. Um, Founded by Amory and and a survivor, another survivor as well, um, and they really go around and they they spearhead all sorts of events um, for the kids and different communities, and they're in different churches and um, other places around uh, Massachusetts as well. They also work with counseling for survivors and help to get them in a more secure place so that they can uh, heal. So um, I just got hooked up with her probably within the last six months. So it's great to see uh, once you start partnering with people and, and talking with people how um, interwoven it is and all the other people that are around to support and continue um, growing this uh, mission, right? Yeah. It, it- Networking is is Networking. a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. That, that's how you mm-hmm. get all of these people, you know. And um, when you were speaking with uh, about the uh, aftercare, what mm-hmm. what are people envisioning in terms of what an aftercare facility would be? Are we talking about um, a, a one stop shopping building with services? Are we talking about 
foster care homes that we're looking. Many times I see our, our, our LGBT friends advertising online to find a foster home for an LGBT kid who needs placement. Is that what we're talking about, individual homes where we're wanting people to take people in uh, safely, or are we talking about uh, a more structured entity with with many services under one roof, Julie, when you talk about the aftercare piece? Yes. What I've understood it to be is many, uh, it's multifaceted. So they'll be able to receive all sorts of counseling um, skills and stay there for for a while until it's not just sort of a, a one-stop quick Band-Aid um, and out the door you go. So, um, and there's so it's a residential mm-hmm. care facility? That residential. That they would be building, or there's a pre-existing building, and maybe it's vacant, and they want it that somebody will be a benefactor, and they turn this into an aftercare facility for for trafficked kids. Right, and 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 you know what I come to find out is a lot of people are are looking for you know somebody's building that's vacant, like you said, um, that they can just sort of turn over. Um, versus trying to have to go through some of the towns and say, hey, we're going to use this for um, sex traffic victims. And, you know, the wording gets out and that's all over the the newspaper and people get, you know, a little hairy scary about it. So um, certainly they're looking at all all avenues, I believe, any way they can get homes. I know down here that Pacific House has, they're a wonderful organization and they have, I think they're on their sixth house. Um, they work with homeless um, youth and adults, so that's a, a good model to look at. Uh, Thistle Farms has a good model to look at, um, and I know there's a few others. Um, I haven't studied them, but yeah. yeah. Well, that uh, D- D- Delilah, are you aware of aftercare um, in in South Carolina? Well, again, it's it's one of those areas that resources are very very thin. Um, yeah. I, I'm not, you know, at liberty to talk about where they are, but it's a case they where mm-hmm. they do exist. You know, it just depends on the case. I mean, this is their issue where you almost have to go case by case. This is not something you can just check off the box for every recovered victim uh, because mm-hmm. every recovered victim is going to require different set of resources. So depending on the situation, uh, the assessment has to be very detailed as to decide what is going to be best and what what sort of life plan you create for that person, whether it be a child or an adult. Right. And isn't it the case where if you meet their immediate um, needs and they're safe now, is there... This is a long-term relationship. It's not like, okay, we'll, we'll you know, we have somebody that will take you in for a, a, a temporary time. You, you, have to, you have to build a long-range plan for each of, each of these clients, each of these children. Is that not so? Correct. Yeah. And, again, like I say, unfortunately, the way our system is set up for not, not only victims of human trafficking, but victims of just about anything is it's sort of the check the box mentality where you know you have if if you do this then you get this if you have this then you go here so it's always been one of my missions to bring to people's attention that not every case is going to be the same not every victim is the same some victims recover quickly some some don't it's a like i say a lifetime change it's a it's a total new normal. It's a total different life that you you have to lead them towards. And some victims don't want to give it up. They don't give it up easily. So it's it's a case by case basis. And we, we are all individuals. We all go through life in different ways. We all heal in different ways. So, you know, if we can get to that point, I think we'll find a lot more success stories out there. Not that there aren't any. There, There's quite a few good success stories out there, and especially, you know, women in, that I've come across in the Victims Network um, that are doing great things. They really are. And not that they would ever say they were 
healed from this because I don't think you're ever really healed from it. But no. you, you can learn how to function. You can learn how to function in society and give back. And, and this is what I see a lot of victims of, of all kinds of crime is that there's, there's a need there to give back. You know, once they get to that point, they feel a very strong need to give back. And that's, that's one of our best resources. Yeah, survivors to be able to do that. You know, Megan was a prime example, and I always thought that that was a very compelling show that we did with her. And um, she, you know, is an amazing person. Um, Julie, I was wondering, I, I have the... I have Public Act 1732 in front of me, and I just wondered if if I went over the the um, provisions that they have here, do, would do you would you be able to speak to whether some of these have been enforced or not, or would you would you be able to um, speak to that? There's like about seven points or so. If you if you don't, that's fine. But just to let people know what's in this provision, I thought maybe it would be helpful. Um, is that okay with you? Sure, let's go over it. Okay. Um, okay, an act concerning human trafficking. Summary of the bill. It adds to the Trafficking in Persons Council membership and expands and expands the council's charge. Oh, okay. Um it, uh, the bill increases the council's membership from 25 to 27 by adding an, an adult trafficking victim appointed by the governor and the education commissioner or her designee. To your knowledge, do you know if that's been enacted? That I do not know. No. Okay. Um, secondly, it ex- expands the conduct punishable as a trafficking in person's crime and increases the penalty for for the crime. Um, I'm looking on this next page where they where they uh, where they talk about it. Um, it let's see. Okay, under the, the the bill expands it to include the commission of sex trafficking act. Um, under the bill, sex trafficking is the recruitment, harboring, transportation, or provision of a person for the purpose of engaging in sexual conduct with another. Currently, one way to commit the trafficking in person crime is to compel or induce someone under the age of 18 to engage in sexual uh, contact, that is prostitution or illegal sexual conduct with a a third person. Uh, It increases from a class B felony to an A felony um, and the penalty uh, uh, for trafficking in persons crime. Um, it says a class B felony is punishable by one to 20 years in prison, a fine up to 15000 or both. Uh, a class A felony is punishable by 10 to 25 years in prison or a fine up to $20,000 or both. So I'm wondering from October of 2016 if in those cases the punishment aspect has has really gone to to you know changing the felony and changing the um, amount of money punishable do you have any knowledge of that aspect I don't have any knowledge of that aspect. I know that they have been moving towards increasing um the severity because it's it's too big of a number um not to look at anymore. And so, and I believe Connecticut has been leading in the way um, the last maybe decade or so in this, in this topic. Um, Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. I think they just lost, um, they just lost the battle recently. Um, And that was unfortunate. It came down to just a matter of uh, terminology, I believe. Um, But they're hoping to, you know, get that passed through next year. I would imagine. They just have to draft it a little differently. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and for a lot of times things come down to language, and then when the when the session ends, you know, a lot of these things don't get addressed, or they run out of time, unfortunately. Um, right, because it, so so often right. I think the um, you know the argument that the minors are prostituting themselves, or that this is their choice, um, is sort of indirect indirect conflict with you know the understanding of how adolescent brains work and how they develop. Um, you know, expanding knowledge about how minors are groomed and recruited into sex trafficking, um, 
and of course the actual power structure that's at play when you know adult buyers take advantage of the vulnerable youth. So you know it, it, we're sort of in that Me Too age, right, where we, we are no longer blaming rape victims by suggesting that they invited crime due to their attire or lifestyle, um, and we should not be suggesting that youth who are exploiting a rape and then given something of value in exchange chose you know their exploitation. So. Um, that, that is what needs to begin to change. Um, you know, Connecticut still is a little bit misunderstood on some points. Um, yeah. I think there are only one out of, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I think, I think Connecticut might be, um, one of only 10 states across the nation that doesn't have a trafficking law that holds buyers, um, people purchasing sex, you know, accountable. So. Yeah, and that, that is definitely something that, that needs to be addressed. Um, the bill also re- reduces the penalty for patronizing a prostitute when the victim is, is a trafficking victim. So, I, you know, that's, that's good to hear. It, mm. it repeals the higher penalties under patronizing a prostitute for conduct that involves a minor but imposes stricter penalties under a new crime bill creates commercial sexual abuse of a minor. So some of these things are like semantics and kind of increasing penalties for and putting the emphasis on where it should be versus penalizing the victim, correct? Correct. And then it, what, we, uh, we, what we had um, mentioned, it broadens the list of people um, who are required to post the uh, information. But we also bring in the Department of Children and Families where the commissioner, it requires the DCF commissioner to consult with the Department of Emergency Services and Public Protection. And, Commissioner, that's a fancy way of saying the police, um, mm. at, you know, at the state level in developing an educational and refresher training program related to human trafficking. Um, I don't know specifically what they mean by a refresher training. I know they have something, probably a basic training, so they're probably periodically they're having to, you know, go in and, and have have the police be educated on, you know, what's going on now. Um, do, do you have any knowledge of, of that aspect? I have knowledge that I do do a little bit of training. I don't know to the extent of how often, and I think this is one area that, you know, certainly we can begin to focus on now that it's put in place, uh, you know, to really get at the state level and the local level to see how often um, and what exactly are they doing and what does the curriculum look like? Um, I know they have to do, you know, a certain amount of hours of training and that kind of thing. So uh, it'd be great to investigate that a little further, I think. Yeah, I definitely. And the and the last provision, number seven, and I'm not sure if uh, they do this in South Carolina or other places, it requires the attorney general to develop and re- report on a proposed uh, certification to include in state contracts to conform to the extent legally feasible um, with the provisions of the federal executive order um, and it gives the number strengthening protections against trafficking in person in federal contracts. So, in other words, they're building in protections with regard to trafficking. Um, you know, when it comes when it comes to uh, um, state contracts, which mm-hmm. I think probably has you know has not existed in the past. So they're trying to sort of cover all of the territory, if you will, is, is, is that your, your understanding as well? Yes. I think they need to really begin to refine and redefine. Um, and, and not only that, but implement, um, because there's, there's curriculum out there and there's people working in communities, um, everywhere. And so to really get these agencies and law enforcement to be all working, um, you know, increasing the penalties uh, and making it known uh, is, is extremely important. Yeah, I I agree. Um, you know, what would be really good is maybe in the future we could get the uh, police chief from Manchester to uh, come on and, and talk about you know their their initiative too. I think that would be interesting. But we, we haven't really addressed any of the numbers per se. Do you have? current uh, statistics with regard to our state of Connecticut and the estimates in terms of 
trafficking in 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 any of these contexts? Do you have anything available in your material? Sure. I think um, when you look since 2008, there's probably been over 840 referrals to DCF um, for suspected cases of domestic minor sex trafficking. Um, I believe in 2017, there were about 212 referrals to DCF for cases of um, of, of other types of um, trafficking. Um, let's see. In ten, I believe in 10 years in Connecticut, uh, individuals selling sex are seven times more likely to be convicted than those buying sex and 20 times more likely to be convicted than the traffickers controlling the business. So, um, and in 2015, I believe one out of five endangered runaways reported to the uh, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children were most likely child sex trafficking victims. So, you know, it's wow. a it's a billion dollar annual uh, profit, right? Business um, from commercial sexual exploitation. Um, it's larger than probably the market cap for Microsoft, and almost as large as Honda Motors. If you really wanted to get down um, into the well, numbers, a, so that's a very telling comparison there. Yeah. Um, well, and the, and the, not only that, the youngest uh, the youngest one has been two years old. Uh, referral for sex trafficking. So, um, you know, it's it's when you when you dig in and you look at some of the um, some of what's happening with uh, the drug crisis, the opioid, and you have moms um, yes. and people addicted to the opioids, and then they're selling their two and four year old for sex, so they for fifteen hundred dollars, so they can get their next hit. It's really um, it's really heartbreaking. So it's just, yeah, I, I can't fathom it that someone would go to that, to that extent. And, and mm-hmm. that's what our society has become. And we have to somehow broach this, but you know, I, I hearken back to what we, we stated in the beginning in that you, you were just a, cons- you were a concerned citizen. What, how are you sort of, recruiting other people in your circle or what what are you finding out are there more and more people that you you just kind of ordinary people that are becoming interested in this and how how are you getting people involved in this event just from the human standpoint right so i'm getting people involved in the event basically word of mouth um going locally to all the churches to other organizations to the y we'll be having other events with um, the underground, having them come down and speak what they do in their ministry. Uh, so it's just a matter of uh, basically, again, building relationships and inviting people into the journey. Because uh, I think, you know, there's so many people who I think have actually had a little drought in their own um you know, in their own life, and I'm, I'm speaking spiritually. And so, they, you know, to get back on board and do something um, – that's socially uh, responsible is, is awesome. And so we need to gather those people um, to help out with um, certainly this rising number. Um, and let me just say this too, there's um, such research out there about pedophiles and pedo communities and that kind of thing and all the symbols they're using. And that uh, is disheartening as well when you have, um, you know, people giving Ted talks on, um, you know, pedosexual uh, orientations, that to me is, is really scary because there's um, where are we drawing the line here? <laughs> there is no line. Uh, we need to draw the line somewhere. So that, that really bothers me. Um, uh, yeah, that bothers me a lot. Well, I, I, I totally agree, and I'm very impressed with the breadth of your passion and your enthusiasm for going forward with this. And so just, just so that people know, again, because we're approaching, I think we have perhaps oh, maybe five, seven minutes or so, how, uh, how do people register? How much is it? They get a T-shirt. You, you, um, it's a rain or shine event, correct, that kind of thing? It's a, yes, it's a rain or shine event, and you can go to Eventbrite and look at Tread on Trafficking. You can find us there under communities or rallies or charity. We're under any of those um, searches. And the tickets are $27 because what we have found is that, you know, not everybody can afford the $250 gala uh, ticket. And, um, and there's plenty of youth who want to be involved in something bigger than themselves. And since this is sort of um, right in their territory in terms of uh, peers, 
uh, as an area that they can certainly help out in and get involved in. And so many of them are really interested um, in social issues and in giving back. And they all have to do some type of community service. And so why not grab a, grab a friend and come for a walk and, and make it for a great cause to be able to really rescue a life and rescue a peer? And it could be somebody yeah. that they may, may or may not know. So. Yeah, and so this gala event, that's something that you're hoping to plan in the future for, for those people that, that, that do have the funds? Um, well, we're looking to do something in the future, yes. So interesting, oddly enough, um, I'm a member of a country club here in town, and this is a funny story. I really didn't want to um, really participate in a country club, and my husband was pressing me a little bit because he loves golf. And ironically <laughs> enough, we were, <laughs> I, I, I went back to him and I said, okay, you know, I know you want this as your community, and I'm so sorry. Yes, um, I'm on board. Let's do it. So uh, we sign up for it. We get the letter of uh, congratulations, welcome to the club. And, oh, by the way, your club membership number is 911. And I said, oh, my what? goodness. I, I guess <laughs> I now know what I'm going to be using this club for. It's not going to be for tennis and golf and swimming and whatever. It will be used for um, rescue. So, yeah, isn't that a cool story? So, yeah, yeah, you just you just by happenstance you got that number. So you hopefully as a member of this country club are going to be able to be able to garner the uh, interest and resources in order to, to hold a fundraising gala there? Yes, we'll most likely do it maybe next, probably next year after this walk is out of the way. Maybe we're not quite sure of the title of it, but we'll do some sort of a a gala over there and um, it could be a dessert night and we'll again raise some funds for something very specific and once the housing is in place here uh, locally in our state then I think that's a great way um, again to get funds directed directly to people here um, it, you know locally um, I'm and all for helping out. And it focuses on the aftercare. Yeah, and it focuses on the aftercare which is such a huge gap and you know, they deserve to have the right therapy and the skills and be in a holistic, uh, comprehensive setting and, and placement residentially to get what they need um, and, and have long-lasting lifetime relationships with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Good that's true. So, well, yeah. would, you, would you be interested in having people contact you directly if they want to assist you after they've listened to the podcast? Absolutely. That would be great. Um, I can give How you my email. Sure. sure. My email is endit, E-N-D-I-T, endit2018 at gmail.com. Endit2018 uh, at, g- at gmail.com. That's Wonderful. Correct. Well, I, I think you've given us a very inspiring message. I'm very proud of what you're doing. Uh, Delilah, do you, you have some thoughts in listening to, to this very impressive um, narrative today? I mean, I, I like I like her energy. Yes, I, I like think, her passion. I, I, absolutely, and I commend you, Julie. Um, it, it takes it takes bigger than a village to to present in this issue, and by coming forward and giving your energy and your efforts towards it, I, I commend you for that. And, and I hope Thank that you, you find many, many more like you. Yes, yes. I will. We, we definitely need more like you. And so we um, consider us a community partner. If we can pass along publicity or whatnot or do something else in the future, I, you have my commitment that I, I, I will try to help in some way. Um, Thank so you. I'm so that, glad we can collaborate yeah. together. Well, that's great, and that's what networking is all about. So yeah. with that, please do pass on this podcast to other people so that they know that's the way that you all can participate today. So we're going to be closing out the show for today. Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you, Delilah, and stay tuned um, very soon for another edition of Shattered Live Radio. Be safe and have a good weekend, everyone. Bye-bye.